0: in to The Blend, my name is Steve Benz. We are broadcasting live right here in downtown Chicago. Tonight, I bring you Canadian rock royalty. He had hits in the 70s, joined a band in the 80s called Red Rider. had bigger hits, went solo with the States right here in the States in the 90s, had bigger hits. He continues to produce. He continues to tour. He continues to write new music. Let's welcome Canadian rocker Tom Cochran.
1: Hey, Steve. It's good to be on, man. We've talked about this for a while, and um, yeah, I'm glad to be there. I wish, wish you'd come to the show at the winery in Chicago, but uh, you didn't make it, maybe next time. And uh, yeah, how you been?
0: I've been pretty good, but we've got out-of-towners that we sent to your show. How about that?
1: Yeah, that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, they were from uh, New Jersey. They flew in. Uh, they won some tickets, and I got nothing but posts about that. So what's it like being on tour again?
1: Um. Well you know I've never really been off like we we've, we've uh, you know a couple of years like last year was sixty five dates and and this year I'll probably do another thirty five so and summer's always busier although we're starting a bit of an extended run through Ontario we haven't done a lot of shows here in the past few years so uh, yeah it, it's great man it's a, it's it's really what it's about it's kind of gone full circle it's always been about that I guess right. playing live for everybody and um and Really, back when rock and roll started, and this all started—I mean, records were considered promotion for the live show—and right. and, um, so it's really the lifeblood of what we do, right?
0: It always is. I don't care what anybody says; it's always about the vinyl to get all of you to come to town.
1: Yeah, it's live.
0: You know? That's the way it should be. It's about can you play live? Some of the new acts can't really play live, so it's good to know that you just pick up your axe and you just play and you play hard.
1: Yeah, and God knows, you know, <laughs> guitars have taken a beating in the last little while. You know, it's <laughs> it's there's there's they say less and less uh, kids are playing guitar than ever before. So it's kind of interesting times in 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 a way. But um, you know, to make music just on a computer is not. In my mind, I, I suppose it's a bit archaic, but it's not being a musician, you know.
0: Yeah, because you're all by yourself in a studio. You don't need a band, and that's just not music. That's not rock to me.
1: Yeah, or live, you're spinning it, or you're you're playing samples. I mean, you know, yeah, it takes a certain amount of creativity. There's no doubt about it. But there is something pure and essential about somebody playing playing a real instrument and and singing singing the songs, you know.
0: So take me through the beginning to now, and writing a song. We're talking about having a band and and working through all those dynamics. Has that changed for you over the years?
1: Yeah, it definitely has. I mean, in the beginning, I didn't have a whole lot of control over the stuff. You know, I didn't have a lot of control over the equipment. I didn't understand it, and the more and more I got to understand it the more of a pleasure it became because all those things do work into the creative process. Mm. And, uh, you know, more and more the demos became more comprehensive until you get to a point where the demos uh, sometimes hold up, you know, and, and then you bring a band in to play the different parts. But still, I think the real magic is, is, is when you get a chance to go over a song with a bunch of really great players. Mm. And, you know, I've, I've, I've had the, the, the great pleasure of, of working with Kenny Greer and Jeff Jones again uh, we took a bit of a hiatus from from each other for for maybe 12 years there but for the last um, 14 years or so we've been we've been gigging again together so these guys are tremendous players so it's it's always fun to be able to kind of hash out a song with with real guys and and jam it and get it right that way but a lot of times you know I will do come up with a song on acoustic guitar electric and then uh lay it down or piano and then lay it down and then add the different parts and then then you you play it for the guy and say what do you think i mean in a sense it's the way we've replaced notating music with mm. with, with you know with a staff and, and 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 all of that you know with music notes i mean you basically can lay all those parts down and and uh give an example of what you want and some of the time some of those things, those parts hold up and final recording
0: does the melody write the lyrics or the other way around
1: <laughs> when, when somebody asked me a while back they said what comes first the lyrics or the words Ty. and i said i think you mean in lyrics and music i you know what I, i've developed sort of a system Stephen. i don't know if a lot of other people do it i've heard mccartney used to do it um and, and certain songwriters used to do it but i found that sometimes I sit down and I, I I can write the most eloquent lyrics, the most eloquent poetry and it just doesn't fit the music. So I try to dram it jam it like I'm a sax player. I've got the story in my mind. I've got the ideas in my mind. Maybe you have the certain hooks and you've got a feeling more importantly, that you want to get across. And I jam to the music, uh, whether it's just playing it or whatever. And sometimes it's what I call a mumble track. Mm. um, you lay it down as a mumble track and then you fill in the blanks and it's uh it's worked really well for me because it it, it doesn't do you any good if you write a great lyric but the lyric doesn't mesh with the music um i was always amazed that elton john for instance and you know a lot of other people have done this have a partner who's strictly a lyric writer strictly a poet and they'll write books or reams of poetry and sketches and they'll Submit them to Elton John, and I'm speaking of Bernie Taupin, of course. Right, and then right. he comes up with a song out of it. It always amazes me because to me, it's a matter of, of, of having emotion, having an idea that matches the chord changes and the melody, and, and jamming it so that the songs that, that they feel indelible. That it feels like it was born as opposed to um, to written. And I, I think that's the best way to put it. You know, the the best songs are really born. I mean, I I wrote Big League. For instance, uh, you know, about a about a sport, about sports, and, and a dad and his son, and and, and and whether it's hockey or whether it's basketball or football or whatever, sports are the way out socially and economically for a lot of kids, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so that's what that song really captures, and it's a true story about a boy and his dad, in this case, in hockey. And I, you know, I, I wrote that song I think in twenty minutes, so it, it came really quick, but. The, the music actually accompanied the words while I was writing it. You know, I'd play a few bars and I'd sing it and then I'd jot it down and uh, and, and was recording it into, at that time, a cassette recorder. Um, so yeah, <laughs> What's so that,
0: that? What's a cassette recorder? <laughs> yeah,
1: it was, man. People are going, what the hell is a cassette recorder? They're Googling it as we speak. <laughs> They're Googling what is a cassette
0: recorder. That's right, and if uh, w- once you Google it, then you'll understand why we always had pencils back then. <laughs> that's right. Now, yeah. you talk about the mumble track. John Lennon was known for that, where he would just right. throw gibberish in there because, again, it was the melody. He heard the melody in his head. So it sounds like you were the same. Age. Is that what happened with the the song that I love the best is No Regrets? Okay, that's my song. Is that how that started?
1: Um, pretty much, yeah. Uh, no regrets. I had, I had the uh, chord progression, and um, laid it down on. On, on um, you know, we're moving up to DAT at that point. A DAT player what? wasn't cassette anymore. And then, um, yeah, the to- the song took shape that way. You know, after a few passes, the story would come out, and um, the sh- the song would start to take shape. And that's I've always found that's the best way to do it. it it's the most essential way to do it because again if, if, if the lyrics are awkward or you know and a lot of times and maybe that's why rap came about because there's so many words crammed in but a lot of times with poetry and lyrics you try to cram too many ideas into one sentence or one stanza and it doesn't doesn't quite mesh in terms of a traditional melody right uh, Whereas where a lot of rap doesn't tend to have a it's not melody dependent it's it's strictly based on the rhythm and and the cadence of of these rapid fire
0: uh um, words and considering the two big american hits here and in uh, solo hits i should say during the 90s you could have been a rapper my friend
1: steve it's weird the impression people get i've had somebody people come up to me and say life's highway is one of the first you know kind of rap songs. I said, no, 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 no. It goes back a long time before that. (laughs) I mean, if you're going to point out a white guy singing that kind of, uh, uh, that kind of, you know, that that kind of rap feel, I mean, you go back to to Jim Carroll. Those are people who died. Um, I remember that song really impacted me a lot. I don't know if you remember Jim Carroll, Basketball Diaries. And that was an incredible piece of kind of rap poetry put to, to kind of a punk feel mm-hmm. you know, song and that was, uh, those are people that died and that was back in 79 I yep. guess yep. 70, 79, 80 somewhere in there um, but yeah Life's Highway does have that feel, it's kind of that, that rapid fire vocal but there's still a strong melodic component right?
0: Yeah, yeah. you could have been Ice-T <laughs>
1: <laughs> Ice-T-C yeah.
0: Right, there you go now, what I'm amazed by uh, your career. You came up in the '70s, in the '80s, you're in uh, Red Rider, and you took off. Let's face it; you had massive hits here and in Canada. And then you walk away to do a solo project. Is that what happened? Did you walk away from the band?
1: Well, it's 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 a much more long drawn out, convoluted okay. process than that. You know, the the nitty nitty gritty of it was basically Ken Greer started spending more time producing i remember we were doing the victory day record um and it was tom cochran and red rider at that point we changed that because we found in general people weren't associating the music a lot of the way i approached the red rider stuff was as a singer songwriter because that's that's you know before i joined the band i was singing copy houses and i was a troubadour right so uh we felt like around 85 that we changed the name to tom cochran red rider because it just seemed like the songs were so lyric uh, centric that, that people needed a face to relate the songs to. Yeah, and then Victory Day came along. So you know, we're like, boy, well, we're eight records in here at this point. Um, and then Victory Day came along. Kenny was was busy producing a band called the Tragically Hip, which became massive in Canada. People have no idea in the states how huge, tragically hip was, and Gord Downey tra- tragically died recently with a brain tumor. Mm. Uh, it was very, impacted us all quite a bit. But anyways, Kenny produced them, and so he's spending less less time working with my stuff, and I ended up starting to, to do a lot of it. Like, just Kenny would do the demos with me in this house we had rented, and mm-hmm. I was doing a lot of the work on my own, and so then I branched out. I remember coming up with these, one, one of them being... No regrets. Another one was washed away off what became Mad Matt World. Another one was get back up,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and played them for Kenny, and he didn't like them. Part, and God, I remember seeing this documentary on Petty, and it was just so similar to his experience, him playing the Full Moon Fever stuff to the band, to 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 Howie Weinstein and stuff, and and, and not was was Howie Weinstein the bass player, anyways, in, in Petty's band, and a couple of the guys. And they, um, they didn't get it. And it was the same with Kenny. So I'm doing total mock-ups of these songs. Some of them stood up on the record, you know, where, where the parts stood up. We just basically added a real drummer and maybe a real bass. And Kenny didn't like them because he wasn't really involved. And, and I think that's sometimes human nature. So I went off. And, so we had a bit of a falling out at that point. And off I went to, to do my solo career stuff. Very much around the same time, Petty did it, you know, separated from yeah. the Heartbreakers and did Full Moon Fever. It was right around that same time frame. So um, you know, it happens, right? You 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 grow in different directions. Uh, Springsteen, the same thing, but then you end up getting back together with those guys when you realize there is a real chemistry and a magic there. Yep. Yep. I don't think Springsteen. Van has a problem playing some of the songs that he did uh, as a solo artist you know or, or a solo project um and same with petty and so it comes full circle like kenny and jonesy who were in red rider played the stuff my solo stuff great and they love playing it now so uh we've come full circle and mended the fences a long time ago and now we're back together doing shows
0: that's awesome, and I just looked at your website. You're you're on tour starting uh, this month, and uh, that's great. I can't wait. I hope that you come back to Chicago. I mean, I felt bad that we I missed the show, but
1: the states. We, we um, Chicago is so much fun. Chicago has yeah. always been. Stu- As a matter of fact, the one disc on Mad, Mad World twenty five that mm-hmm. we just released the twenty fifth anniversary was a recording at Park West.
0: There you go. So
1: much energy. That was such a good band. That's the that's the Loverboy band, of course. That's Spiders and even uh, Matt Farnett on uh, on drums and what a great rhythm section those guys are. Like we, we had a bitch, that was a great band too. And um, and yeah, I would definitely I want to get back to Chicago and uh, it, it was a real pleasure playing there and got so much history there and uh, it's a lot of fun. So it, it's just good being on the road, It's good kicking doing it. I, like I, I did the show a few years ago with Springsteen and we were laughing about it and he said, Man, it doesn't matter if I'm playing for 40,000 people. It's like I'm jamming in the garage at 15 yep. with my buddies. Yep. And that's the way it is. And that's the way it should be. And that's that's how I feel. I'm on stage, and it's timeless. And so it's the only place I'm allowed to be timeless, Steve. You know?
0: <laughs> oh, that's funny. And when you come back, you and I will get together. We'll do uh, some live video stuff. What do you think? I
1: love look- I'd love to do that, man. Thank you. Hey, girl. so I got
0: one question before you head out. I know your band is uh, waiting, and you're you're off to the studio now. A lot of people will ask. A lot of interviewers will say, "What would older Tom say to younger Tom?" Let's take the opposite. What would younger Tom say to now older Tom in his career? What do you think? How that would that conversation go? I'd
1: probably say, uh, "Don't you don't lose your temper as much, man. Just keep it cool." You know, it's um. It is important what you say to people and, and how you act, and there's sometimes that, as a creative person or any any human being on this, this small orb of ours, that we, we kind of get desperate to get our points across, and, you know, it's, it's like in Boy Inside the Man, you know. When I turned 25, I, I was hungry, I had drive, and sometimes you don't treat people the way they should yep. be treated, and I, I learned how to do that, and I, I learned to be more, more patient with people, more understanding in spite of being ambitious and, and that's what i probably say to myself, that man, things are going to work out. Just, just take the high road and keep, keep moving forward and try to be, treat people like you want to be treated yourself.
0: That yeah. old adage, right? See, that's the key phrase, probably take the high road. Yeah. You know, we always get that moment don't where we don't take it on
1: the ones you love. Yeah. <laughs> There's another one.
0: And last question before I, I let you go here, what is your legacy? What do you want people to remember from Tom when the day that you want to hang it up, if you ever do hang it up?
1: Well, I'd love people to say he was a great guy. I mean, I know that sounds corny and all that stuff, but uh, he was a great guy, and he, all, and, and, and he treated people with respect. So that kind of goes back to what we're talking about, but the songs also... He wrote so many songs that stood the test of time because for the, for the average American, they're going to maybe recognize Lunatic Fringe and Life's a Highway, a lot of the younger generation might not even recognize those you know but um there's so much more there in the catalog and so I'd like people to realize that they're real songs that come from real experiences and and that I was a good guy and and along that road and spread some good goodwill along that road uh with those songs and and also in my life and in the way I conducted things and again it goes back to what I said you know when you're young you do some stupid things and say some stupid things and, and hurt people that you shouldn't hurt. So, uh, But, you know, we learn from that, too. So, and I'm not, Perhaps I'm saying, Steve, I did lie and no regrets. We do all have some regrets, <laughs> right. no matter what. But you hope that you, you can limit the number of regrets yep. you have. Let's put it that way, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then you make amends. Yeah. Just somehow you make amends with uh, you know the good and the That's bad right.
1: in life. For sure, man, for sure. You Tom, know, we're all human beings, right?
0: Tom, it is always a pleasure. My airwaves are always open to you. We'll make sure that we have you back on later this year.
1: Well, brother, you're a legend. You're doing some good work, and you're you keeping the music alive. You're a musicologist, and uh, you're you're doing your your part. It's a very big part. So thank you on behalf of myself and other musicians out there that you're uh, you're helping keep the music alive. And I-, I appreciate it.
0: Thanks, Tom. Let's play a little Double Shot. You guys are listening to The Blend.